Now, did you notice in the build-up to this weekend what the subject was that we were going to be looking at? Did you notice that? And yet you still came. I think that's really, really brave. I think you ought to give yourselves a round of applause for those of you knew and you decided to come despite us looking at confrontation. I wonder how many of you either said or thought as you realised what we were going to be looking at Oh, I don't like confrontation. Anybody? Is that you? Would, would you have had that thought? Yes? And some of you may well have probably said that to your spouse, and they thought, really? You could have fooled me. It's interesting, you know, that sometimes Jesus avoided conflict. At other times, he resolved conflict. And sometimes Jesus actually created conflict. That's interesting, isn't it? So we can't really say that conflict or confrontation is always good or always bad, but sometimes it is needed. And it may well be a little bit of an unusual subject uh, to look at on a Sunday, but you know, the Bible speaks about this, and therefore, because we speak about what the Bible speaks about, inevitably, We're going to be talking about it on one day or another, and that day is today. So if this is your first time ever here and you've walked in and you've been greeted by, welcome to confrontation, apologies for that, but in another sense, not apologies, because it's all part and parcel of what God's Word is wanting to say to us. Many people have, I think, a misunderstanding that keeping the peace means avoiding confrontation at all costs, as if... It means I ought to just swallow my hurts, hide my feelings, repress the truth, ignore problems in my life, and pretend that everything is okay. The Bible says that actually only causes more problems because we're not being real. The Bible says that repressing the truth rather than dealing with the truth is what causes trouble. Now, let me just add a caveat uh, to that. This doesn't mean that if you get asked by your wife, if she looks fat in her new outfit, that you tell her, yes, you do. That's not what I'm advocating. But we can maybe sometimes bottle out of being as honest as we could be or indeed should be. And sometimes that bottling out is rooted in very unhealthy reasons. Fear of rejection fear of insecurity. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 10 says these words, someone who holds back the truth will cause trouble, but the one who openly confronts works for peace. Love is not always easy, it's not always fun, it sometimes takes a lot of courage, it's sometimes tough. And some part or aspect of that love at times may well inevitably involve confrontation if we're going to be truly real, one with another, not just in a relationship within uh, the four walls of a home, but also in terms of church. It's not all about, always about turning a blind eye uh, simply uh, because we want to try and keep a quiet life. The Bible says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love rejoices with the truth. Well done. One member of our church 
knows where that verse was going. Okay, it also says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth, but in a spirit of love. And maybe that's where we're not always that positive or skilled at. Sometimes we have to say tough things to people who don't want to hear it. But we need to hear the truth sometimes. And you, in love, at times maybe need to share a word with somebody that needs to share it. Paul had to deal with one issue after another in brutal honesty with the early church, speaking the truth in love. And if you want to have a check out of that, have just a quick scan through and read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. This church that was filled with that sense of awe and about themselves because of their wonderful spiritual gifts that they had in operation. And yet Paul was very direct about where things were not right at all. And it was important that that church realized that and heard the truth of his words. I wonder how honest we are, generally speaking. I wonder how many of us have already today worn that coat hanger smile that we can so readily do when we walk into church and when somebody asks you how you are, you said, fine, thanks, but I'm really feeling rubbish. We can do that, can't we? And you know, although that sounds a trivial example, we're robbing someone else of an opportunity to love us where we're at. Yet bizarrely, we would say this is the place that we should feel safest of all and most able to love one another. And yet sometimes we don't follow that up with the way that we are. We're going to hear about a particularly sick story right now. It's actually from the Bible. Jill is going to come and read it to us. It's recorded in John chapter 8, but what I want you to particularly uh, listen out for, we're not going to be going through this, unpacking this passage in an exegetical fashion, verse by verse, but I want you to pick up particularly on the way that confrontation is used. And then we're going to be exploring some themes uh, after that and drawing from the book of Proverbs. So, Jill, if you can come forward now, and if you've got a Bible, it'll be up on the screen as well. It'll be John chapter 8. Thanks, Jill. Good morning, everybody. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thanks very much, Jill. The last uh, few weeks, um, most of you will probably be aware, I- I've been ill like I'm never uh, ill. I've had this horrendous uh, viral infection. I think I'm, I'm through that. And uh, as I've sat at home watching the live stream, uh, it's been quite a surreal experience because I've still written the messages that have been preached. And I have to say, the guys David, Dave and Glyn have done a- an amazing job. And I'm just hoping that I can preach with my notes as well as these guys did with my notes, because it kind of sounded through David, Dave and Glynn a lot better than I think it would have done coming from my own uh, mouth. We're going to be very practical as we think this morning about this subject of confrontation. Notice, though, how those religious leaders sought to not only confront, but to humiliate that poor woman and to completely seek to destroy her reputation or what anybody may well have thought uh, about her, whilst Jesus reacted very, very differently. We sometimes speak here as a church about believing in grace and truth coming together, not one or the other, but then we add in, but grace needs to always come first. And this passage probably in a more, um, in a better way than any other, I think, epitomizes that, that whole essence of grace and truth coming together, but with grace coming first. Whilst not ignoring her wrongdoing and challenging her over her choices, Jesus showed great compassion and treated her with dignity. And we could draw some obvious principles from that as we think about our own needing to confront someone, maybe about something. So how can we seek to confront someone in a a positive way? Well, firstly, check your motive. There are lots of reasons, aren't there, why we might want to point out an error uh, in someone else. Um, After all, this is maybe highlighting uh, a fault in someone else who's just simply sinning in a different way uh, to the way that we do. But that doesn't, um, uh, doesn't take away from the fact that there are times where, you know, we feel so uncomfortable about what we've heard someone say or the way we've been treated. You think, I I do need to deal with that and to speak about that. But why else may we have a motive to confront? It may well be out of jealousy. We need to think about our motive. It may well be out of revenge, which is not a very godly motive. It may well be our own sense of wanting to feel superior. Often, you know, I've discovered that it can be because people have exactly the same issue in themselves that they refuse to recognise or deal with, but take great delight in flagging up that same issue in somebody else. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Why Jesus 
said, it's maybe why Jesus said that we should not judge others before removing the log out of our own eye uh, first, before we seek to take the, the speck out of another. In terms of the right motive of speaking to someone about maybe something that's not right, it's simply to seek to help, not to hurt. Because we're ultimately wanting the good of the other person. And if they continue how they're living or how they're speaking or how they're treating others, you know, that that damage is going to be very, very far-fetched. And we don't want that for that person or for others. If that is therefore a right motive, then that is good. John's gospel uh, even tells us, doesn't it, what the motive of those religious leaders uh, were. It was to catch Jesus out. Proverbs, back in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 12, we read there, a wise friend's kindly reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. Proverbs 27, verse 6, we read there, wounds made by a friend are intended to help. But the key word there is the word friend, who we see as a friend. We have to be in relationship with that person that enables that confrontation then to be seen as a sign that we really care because we've got our friend's best interests at heart. Relationships without confrontation, well, they may be a lot safer, but they're also a lot more shallow. Let's think about that in a church context. Since my time here, I've inherited this phrase, this church is a friendly church. That's brilliant. Many of you are here because the welcome you received was so warm and positive. You wanted to be a part of this people group, and that's great to actually be known as being a welcoming and friendly church, and long may that continue. There are positive friendships. But how deep are those relationships? How real are they? Have they transcended to a deeper level? Are they real for us to be able to speak to someone about the way they may well have spoken or behaved, either with ourselves or with another person? Or are they not at that level and so therefore we choose to say nothing? Now it may well be on occasions that's right. But to always opt to say nothing, we run the risk of what's not being dealt with then festering within us or with another person. That can then grow towards a bitterness. Sometimes with ourselves being maybe the last one to realise. When we do have the courage to say something... It must only be because we want a positive outcome for all concerned and never just because we want the other person to feel bad. So it's important that we check our motive, especially if at the time that we're feeling it, we're in an angry place. That's not a good time, is it, to actually make a big decision or suddenly whip our mobile phone out to wing a text through to somebody. Check our motive. Let's also think before we speak. Now, I tend to be one of those people that wears my heart on my sleeve, and that's not always helpful when part of what you do is your job is, is speaking like this, because you may well get a thought, and sometimes there'd be something comes up, and you think, oh, too late, and now it's gone global as well because of this thing called live stream. Too late, it's gone out. <gasps> if only I'd not opened my big mouth. may well be something that you may well have felt 
or that somebody may well have said to you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 23 says these words. Intelligent people think before they speak. Oh, well, there's the clue there then, Roger. (laughs) What they say then is more persuasive. I wonder how often we've said something in haste, impulsively, or when angry and then regretted it. Those religious leaders in that passage that Jill read to us clearly didn't think, did they, before they spoke. They never bothered at all about what that woman would be feeling, not just by those, being, uh, those words being uttered in front of her, but in a public arena. How hideous, how evil. And these were the religious leaders who knew God's word back to front. So let's not assume that we're on the outside of these things. And these things we surely wouldn't actually uh, have affecting ourselves. There's the benefit, isn't there, of being able to communicate quickly today. I mentioned about text. And email is another one. But the flip side of that positive is, of course, if we send that out when we're in a bad place or an angry place, Sometimes just 24 hours to draft something is very, very wise. That sense of time when we go back to that message that we were feeling in an angry place, and sometimes we can be quite surprised with what we were thinking of communicating. It may well be there's still a message to communicate, but we can maybe soften that message a little bit. Not compromise on truth, but speak the truth in love. There's a sense of, of timing, isn't, isn't there? Now, we're going to actually perform a joke this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not very good at telling jokes, as you'll discover shortly, but there is a, a, a sort of response. And you know the, I say, I say, I say, and then a question is asked, okay? I'm going to ask a question, which is, I say, I say, I say, what is the secret of great comedy? And your corporate response, nice and loud, so that people can hear on live stream, live stream is, we don't know. What is the secret of great comedy? It's quite easy that's all you got to do all right you up for that four of you brilliant okay here we go i say i say i say what's the secret of great comedy timing (laughs) now there'll be a few people that said he he gave he gave the answer before we'd finished the sentence those of you who got it and laughed explain to those near you that didn't timing is everything isn't it Think before you speak. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, says these words, The right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. Let's try to hold back from being blunt or dogmatic. Sometimes merely asking a question can be a helpful starting point. You know, I I was just wondering... If, and then maybe to ask a particular question, as the person's maybe likely to be more receptive. Or maybe seek to ask a, a person's permission. You know, I've had, I've had something that's been a bit of a niggle. Do you, do you mind if I share that with you a moment? Now, if they say no, well, okay, you can maybe keep it in. If they say yes, they can't then blame you for you then going forth and actually being honest, can they? 
It's that sense of respect and knowing the person engaging what's right as we seek to think before we speak. You may want, of course, to say something to me if you're not happy about something. Especially right now, as you've only got four weeks left to do it. So if there is a long list of things that you've been meaning to say, I would suggest that you don't hang about. But let me add this in. Not just if there's something to say to me, but let's think about somebody else, particularly that's preaching the word on a Sunday. Don't speak to them about what you're not happy about immediately after they've given their all and emptied themselves of who they are. And to then on the door saying, I didn't like what you said about such and such. They won't remember anything else that anybody else has said to them that's affirming. They'll just be dented and crushed and the enemy will will use that. That's what happens. Those of you who've spoken here will know that's true. I know it's true because it's happened to me countless times. Maybe choose to not share something with someone when we know that they're tired or under pressure or in a hurry or they're already feeling low. Our well-meaning rebuke may well then send them under When is the most likely time for an argument about confrontation just going totally wrong? Isn't it usually either just before you leave for church or over a nice meal that was intended to share with someone or just before you go to bed? All those completely hideous wrong times. And who do you think is the one that's rubbing their hands at the destruction that they've created. Some of you maybe already this morning have felt that sense of disquiet because of something that someone said to you or you've received a message or a phone call and the way you've been spoken to even before coming here today. And you feel all torn and tense within because of the awful timing. Let's seek to speak tactfully, lovingly and gently. One person said, truth plus tact plus timing is what's more likely to lead to transformation. I like that. And when we think about speaking the truth, can I just encourage you, and I'm sure nobody would ever do that, do this, don't ever pass a message on in a letter form and not sign it. You want the person to hear a particular thing, But you refuse to own that, so that message is is delivered anonymously. I think that's wrong, and I think that's unloving. But I know it's happened in church life. I haven't known it happen here, but I have known it happen elsewhere. So before you start looking around at who would do such a thing, (laughs) honestly, the head's going round already. But it's not the right way to go, is it? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, if you're not feeling comfortable about how someone else is, go to the person. You can't do that anonymously or with a paper bag over your head. Let's respect and love the person enough to be real with them. A couple of other things. Value the person. That's so important, isn't it? That we seek to place a value on who that person is, even if we feel uncomfortable about what's been said or how they've made us feel. 
It's always easier to receive criticism from people who we know love us and encourage us. Now, I've been here a long time and there's been a lot of things that have been said to me. I have to say those people that have been the people most likely to encourage or say positive things, it's very easy to receive those things that are not as easy for the other person to say because I know they've got my back. I know they support me. I know they think the world of me. I know they're my friend. But they said, Roger, you know, I, I just feel that I need to listen to that because I know they've got my best interests at heart. Without all those positives, it's harder for us to, uh, to respect the other person and what they're saying. You think, well, this person's not spoken to me for 10 years. And yet the first time that they say anything, it's having a go at me. How are you going to feel? It's not rocket science, is it, really? When Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, he said this in 1 Corinthians at the start, I always thank God for you. What a wonderful way to start. And then right at the end, he said, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. How affirming is that? A wonderful loving start, a wonderful loving end. And then in the middle, he goes, bang, Maybe there's something there for us to learn about how we wrap things up and sandwich things between uh, those positive uh, beginnings and endings. He's dealing with bringing home some very real, tough truths that need to be shared. Maybe there's a lesson within that for ourselves. How much did those religious leaders value that woman? Not at all. In percentage terms, naught. How have you felt when someone has had something to say to you? may well have been true what they've said, but afterwards you felt of no value or worth. How can that ever be right? Really important that we maintain a right sense of valuing people. So how do we seek? How do we seek to value people? Who are we seeking to be proactive in valuing now? We haven't got to think of a bad thing to say about another person before we think of wrapping that up with how we might equally value them. We should be seeking for ways to love and value everybody all of the time. Before we leave here today, who are you going to place a value on? And if you're stuck and you can't think of anybody, can it be me? I would love that. We each of us long and have that need to feel valued, don't we? And if nobody values you this morning in a verbal way, let me tell you and remind you, there is a God who loves you and values you for who you are. He loves you too much to leave you this way, but he longs to meet you where you're at. Receive his value. Oh, but there's this, that, and the other going on in my life. He cannot stop loving you. Even if there's some stuff that needs to be sorted out. Leave that to him. Be responsible about what's down to you, but receive his sense of value upon you as an individual. And one more thing to say. How people respond to, our own, uh, to, uh, to being confronted is actually not our responsibility. We've got our bit. But when we share our bit, how the other person responds is up to them. We do have a responsibility to be honest with one another. uh, And if we're not, then things will go wrong. But to say it's none of my business, as I mentioned earlier, is a bit of a a cop-out and a bit selfish. Um, 
Imagine someone who's who's not a Christian, and uh, and I never seek to say anything uh, to them about the consequences uh, of that or of them staying as they are. In essence, I'm saying, you know, you can go to hell. I don't care. And in the same way, in our not sharing what ought to be shared with brothers and sisters in Christ, there's something that we are robbing of the good of a positive outcome that the other person is needing to hear. It is our responsibility if we know something that someone should deal with or maybe that God has placed something in our mind so that we need to then act on it as long as that's with a view to there being reconciliation and a right response. But it is not up to us to dictate how the other person then responds. It may well have been, of course, that we're getting something wrong ourselves. But at best, we might hope that the other person takes that to God and thinks through and prays about that themselves. Each of us only have to give an account to God about how we use what we have been given. So if that's a hunch about something to do with uh, another person, that is down to us. But how the other person uh, responds is not down to us. Now, the next part of what I'm going to say is not an easy thing to say. Oh, I love that look. If only I had a camera to take a photo of you. But you know me well enough to know that I'm going to say it anyway, even though you don't now know what's coming. In the church, part of the role of leadership is to speak to people when things are not always right or as they should be. And that may well, from time to time, involve some form of spiritual discipline. It's probably been one of the, the hardest Uh, parts of my own role since I've been here. Do I enjoy that? No, I don't. But there is a time and a place where you have to, as a leader, respond in a particular way. Would you like some examples? Oh, shame on you. Shame on you. I'm obviously not going to share any. What I will say, though, is this that in a few weeks' time, I'm going to no longer be here. When it comes to those tough conversations, although we have an eldership of six here, it is normally me that draws the short straw and is involved in some of those tough discussions. When I'm no longer here, the elders are the leaders of the church. There are five great guys that are already in post here. They are going to have to give an account to God one day of how they have responded in that sense of leadership that God has placed into their hands. And that is going to include how they have dealt with some of the tough decisions and tough situations that they become aware of in church life. The easiest thing is for a group of leaders to sweep it under the carpet. They do that at their peril because God will judge his church and there'll be judgment upon his church. Now, I'm wanting to say this to you because I'm not going to be here when that happens. And some of you, it may well be, are going to not like that kind of new role that these guys have to take. I have to say, they ain't going to like it either. And Martin and David are thinking, Chris, are probably thinking, thanks. It's a part of their role as a leader. And I've discovered this when people who are lay leaders seek in love to share things with the wider body very often the response that people get is who do you think you are telling me what i should or shouldn't do or how i should or shouldn't live what right have you got i want to tell you before god they have every right and as church you need to know that because they are the ones who are accountable to god about what they do with that
God has given them the responsibility of leading the church. And at times, that will involve difficult discussions and maybe uh, discipline, like it did for Paul and throughout the New Testament. This is not new. These are not everyday occurrences, but from time to time, it is something where there's a necessary confrontation that's needed. And it seemed appropriate, given the timing of events in my own journey, that I seek to share that. And I hope that that's going to be easier for the guys who have that role uh, post my own departure. The alternative, of course, is that these guys do nothing. They shouldn't be in leadership if that's their response. Deal with what's not right, but in love for the purpose of restoration. Now, in case you're thinking, well, sometimes I do things wrong. Does that mean I'm going to have a knock on the door from an elder of the church telling me this? And Listen, we all do things wrong every single day. We think things wrong. We act in a wrong way. Sometimes we don't do the, the, the good that we ought to do. We are all sinners. We are not talking about generic sin, however serious that might be. What we are talking about is unrepented lifestyle choices that are unbiblical and contrary to what's encouraged in Scripture. It would be where a member of the church is saying, I know the way that I should live and I know the way I should speak, but you know what? I'm going to choose to live and speak in a way that is completely the opposite to that. That's the sort of like uh, uh, decision and mindset that I'm addressing here. And it's right at those times that there is a response from those in leadership. If I was on the drums now, I could do a little bit of a drum roll, couldn't I? But I've never been able to do that anyway, so I don't even know why I said that. So I'll leave that there with you. For each of us, though, there are going to be, as maybe you thought, oh dear, there's this, that and the other in my own life. What do we do with that? We have a wonderful opportunity, don't we, on a day-by-day basis to come to Jesus. doesn't matter how big or little that sin or wrongdoing is. In God's eyes, sin is sin. He loves and values you and me as we are. But he longs to just dust us down a little bit. And if there's some sharp edges that need rubbing off of us from time to time... Let's be open to the Spirit of God to have his way amongst us, upon us. God disciplines those he loves. Wonderful. Seven people know that verse. That's good. It may well be that you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. If that is the case, I'm wondering whether or not God has been confronting you about elements that are not right in your own life that you know that you have to give an account to God for and that you know you need to deal with, but you don't know how. I want to encourage you, if you are in that particular place, to thank God for the fact that he has confronted you. Maybe even now you're sensing a probing by his Holy Spirit. That is not so that you feel guilty. It is so that that prompting of his Holy Spirit into those areas of your life that are dark warrant a response to come to the one who's able to deal with that just like that. God eliminates and deals with that the moment we come to Jesus and that we confess our wrongdoing and we invite him in. 
to be Lord of our life. All of that stuff that all of us have ever done wrong was punished upon the person of Jesus when he died on the cross. Nailed there. The freedom comes when we truly believe that. And we give that to him and we choose to leave it nailed on the cross. Never to take it back. If there are bits that from time to time we take back, maybe today is a day where before God we can say, you know what, I'm going to give Jesus that thing, whatever it is, back again to have it nailed to the cross because he's taken it and he wants to hold it so that we don't have to. And we then have a smile on our face when we leave and walk away, truly liberated. Isn't that good news? I think so. That's what we're going to do now. As Martin leaves us in a song, Jesus paid it all. Don't let go of the rest of what we've, what we've thought about. Seek to speak the truth in love. Check your motive. Think beforehand about what to say and value the person. God bless you.